Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I wanted to do a podcast because I've been getting so many messages since Elder Holland's talk at BYU that it's um, difficult to answer all the messages I receive. Most of the messages I receive cannot be answered with a two-sentence or yes or no. So I felt impressed to do a podcast to perhaps address some of the feelings and concerns and questions that I get so I can send people to this podcast and perhaps some of you that haven't reached out to me or reaching out to others or helping other people that the things I share in this podcast will be helpful for you. I pray that this podcast will be helpful to bring us together. For those of you that aren't familiar with me, um, I'm a married father of six three grandchildren, active member of the church, support and sustain our leaders, our doctrine, and also want to bring more understanding to the path LGBTQ Latter-day Saints walk and what we can do to better support them in their journey. That's really the mission of everything I do. I haven't done a solo podcast, I recognize, since about episode 216, December of 2019, most of the things that I do are amplifying the voices of other people. But I felt in this situation I wanted to just spend some time with you and go through a number of things. The things that I want to go through are about four or five. Number one is I'd like to speak directly to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Many of you have been reaching out. The next thing I want to talk about is a Matt Easton, who is a friend and some of my thoughts about how we can support Matt Easton and other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, section number three of this podcast will be allies. Allies um, are people like myself that are Latter-day Saints that are trying to proactively um, lift the burden and, and enhance the experience of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So many of you have reached out trying to navigate um, this space, and I wanted to give some thoughts for you. I'd like to also speak to local leaders, um, anybody on the kind of the ward council level or state council potentially that is trying to talk about this subject within their church assignment and some of the things that you might be able to do. Then the last segment I'd like to talk about those of you that are in a faith crisis or wondering if there's not a place for you in the church or if you're um, stepping away from the church, but actually looking for a way to stay, authentically stay, in a sustainable way to stay. I've been on that road, and um, I would like to share some things that might be helpful for you or those of you that are trying to help others that want to stay. So with that, I've said a prayer, and I just pray that this will be helpful, um, that everything I say will be helpful. But you don't need to agree with everything I say. If you're in this space, not everybody's going to agree with everything you say, but know that my heart is trying to do this the very best way I can. And um, so first, I'd like to reference an Instagram post that I made. It's 10 slides this week. Um, it was just two LGBTQ friends and some of their thoughts. So I'll go through these 10 slides for the first part of the podcast. I'll read them and then I'll comment on them. Slide number one, to my LGBTQ plus friends. I know many of you are in pain, wondering if there's a place for you in our church and or BYU. Those feelings are valid. Listeners, I've learned to honor other people's pain, even if I don't firsthand experience it, and even if not everybody in that group is experiencing in the same way. 
I think that's sort of ministering 101 is that we can sit with people and validate their pain. Even if the source of the pain is from the very church that we love, I think we can do both. We can validate pain and also support and sustain our church. And often validating pain is the way to help heal people and help them move forward. Slide number two is, I wish I could sit with each of you in your pain, hear your story, somehow lift your burden. Slide number three, please stay alive. The world is a better place with you here. You have gifts, skills, and goodness that bless many lives. So many would be heartbroken if you left. Your older self wants you to stay. Listeners, and we'll talk more about this, some LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are wondering if life would be better off with them if they weren't here. They've come to a point of hopelessness where they see no path forward. And that's a pretty isolating spot. And and I've sat with many and have heard many stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in this spot. But most that I visit with eventually come to the place that they're okay. They recognize that the world is a better place with them here. And I really love this idea that if each of your older selves could talk to you, your five-year older self, your 10-year, your 20, they could take you to the place where they are now. And you would see all the beauty and goodness and happiness that has come into your life. So please stay. Even if you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, um, stay. I promise it will get better and everybody would be heartbroken if you left. So please stay. The next slide, I believe it's slide four, if I haven't lost track, is regarding your future with the church. If you're LGBTQ, I invite you and everyone to stay. All the good in my life comes from church membership. Now, that's um, just how I believe. That's everybody I visit with. Every time I speak about this subject, I invite people to stay. And when I say all the good in my life comes from church membership, the church membership for me is a means to access the blessings of my heavenly parents in my life um, and the goodness it gives me in my life. And that includes an understanding of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, heavenly parents that love me, the plan of salvation, the atonement, being able to participate in temple covenants. So I invite you to stay. The next slide is if, um, if you feel your path is to separate yourself from the church, go slow. You may not need to make, you may not need to make that decision today. Stay close to your heavenly parents. They will help you. Ask Jesus to heal your broken heart. Some will process event like happened at BYU or another difficult experience and, and conclude that it's their path to leave. And I just encourage you to make that decision when you're in the best emotional space you can be and you've passed any sort of difficult experiences and can um, think about that. If you're younger, you may not need to decide exactly your future in the future, you may be able to cross that bridge later. So I just invite you to go slow and make a really thoughtful decision if you feel that is your path. Maybe I call that a thoughtful and informed decision when you've really considered everything and, and processed that through. The next slide is, if you do separate yourself from the church, I will still be your friend. I will walk with you. I won't make you the hero today and the villain tomorrow. I will continue to love you, see your goodness, hope for, and see your accomplishments. That's really how I feel, listeners. 
I've met with many LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that have separated themselves from the church. And um, I just kind of go to the 30,000-foot level of the plan of salvation and recognize that they're still my spiritual brother or sister. They voted for the same plan in the pre-earth life, that many of them have served missions and contributed long periods of time to build a kingdom, to bring others to Christ. And I've just felt like I, we should continue and I will continue to love them and trust them and support them. And my love won't be sort of conditional that someday they may come back. I will just love them because they deserve to be loved as a daughter or son of heavenly parents. I also think sometimes we hold some LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to kind of a hero status and an ideal and in and if they don't measure up to that over time, they sometimes we, they become the villain. And they're really the same person doing the best they can on a very complex road. So let's just kind of see everybody the same way. Um, yes, some are able to stay in the church, and that is, and I'm glad for that. But some feel their path isn't to stay in the church, and I've been at peace with that. I like the principle of self-determination. While I invite everybody to stay, I let everybody self-determine their best path forward. That's part of the principles of mortality. Now, some that have left the church want everybody else to leave the church. Some don't. Some that are LGBTQ feel like it's because it wasn't for them, and I validate that, that it's, it's not possible for an LGBTQ person to be doing well in the church. And I've recognized that many are. They've been on our podcast, and it's the balm of Gilead. And so everybody has a story, but I think one of the maturest places to be is to be at peace in your story and allow others to have stories that aren't exactly the same as your story. And that's what I invite all of us to do, to find common ground, even if you're LGBTQ and the different paths that you make or take. The next slide is, if you feel I'm not a true ally because I stay in the church, support our leaders and doctrine and pay tithing, that is okay. Each LGBT person gets to define what an ally is for them, but I still want to be your friend. There's been a discussion that I've seen going around, uh, maybe on Twitter, where um, other LGBTQ people are defining what an ally is. And it's actually an accurate discussion. I think that each LGBT person gets to define that for them. And I recognize that I will not meet that definition and other allies may not um, because I do support our church and pay tithing and I'm not campaigning for doctrine to change. But others are even some that have left the church are fine with me taking on that label because they recognize people in the church need allies within the church to help, especially younger LGBTQ people. But the principle there is I want to be your friend. Uh, I want, but I, I don't want this divide us, I guess, the ally label. And one of the concerns about the ally label is that it moves the discussion off of, it moves it to allies instead of, you know, what can we do to help LGBTQ people? So just some thoughts on that. Um, the next slide, I think this is like eight or nine or 10. Oh, it's eight or nine. Last night, which is now a couple nights ago, I gave a blessing to a gay Latter-day Saint in this very room. It was a sacred privilege to feel Heavenly Father's love for him. I hope all of you can feel that love. I believe you can. It's not just, it's just there. It's not earned. Our Heavenly Parents love their LGBTQ children. 
I've had the opportunity to give 50 to 100 blessings to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. I don't do that as a leader. I just do that as a rank-and-file member that holds the priesthood um, that at times has the chance to give a blessing to a fellow Latter-day Saint. And those blessings are often very sacred for me as I feel Heavenly Father's love for you and that you were created as intended to be created. And this part about you that you may be ashamed about or society doesn't say kind things about at times, their heavenly parents love all of you. And they didn't make a mistake, nothing went wrong. And that puts us all on the same moral footing, that we're all equally created and equally seen in the image in our heavenly parents' eyes. And um, that's really important to know that you can have a personal relationship because they love you and all of this about you. You don't need to be ashamed of that. And so um, just some thoughts there that I feel really strongly about. I've never felt impressed in one of these priesthood blessings to use the priesthood I hold to um, change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. As I've mentioned before in the past, I feel like that's just part of the beautiful attributes we all have. I have blue eyes and I'm right-handed and I've I don't look at that as something that's just part of who I am. And I can't use the atonement to change that. I can't use the priesthood to change that. Those attributes fit in to society, but sec- sexual or a sexual minority or a gender minority is a more difficult road. Um, just some thoughts that are hopeful for all of us. That doesn't change our doctrine, doesn't change commandment keeping. It just puts us all on the same moral footing and especially helps LGBTQ Latter-day Saints better connect and better receive personal revelation. Um, the next slide. The more I write, the bigger, te- the bigger the tears in my eyes get for you. They are streaming down my cheeks. I wish I could take away all the pain, take away the pain and give you all the answers. That slide speaks for itself. The last slide is my feeling is you're going to be okay. Please have hope. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give each other. I believe your best days are ahead of you. Love, Papa Osler. So just wanted to read that Instagram post for you in the first part of this podcast, especially if you're LGBTQ, and just some of the things I'd like to share more broadly to potentially give you hope, connect you with the atonement of Jesus Christ, help you find a way forward. I like um, Elder Bednar's talk about personal revelation, that sometimes we have a light switch experience, very dramatic, but most of the time it's just fog. And we kind of know the next step to take. And as we take that step, we generally know the next step to take. So I trust that as you continue to stay close to your heavenly parents, that that fog will lift in your life and you will know your best path forward as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. The next thing I'd like to talk a little bit about is just um, how LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are feeling regarding Elder Holland's talk at BYU. And I've spent a lot of time this week listening to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints process their feelings. Some of them have reached out to me privately, some have posted on social media. And there's a range of experiences that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are feeling, and I recognize that there's no way for me to accurately represent all of their feelings. And um, and I think it's important to recognize one story isn't everybody's story within this space, even within active LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So I we just need to give permission for each individual LGBTQ Latter-day Saint to 
process their own feelings about Eller Holland's talk. Um, but if you would like to hear some um, feelings from LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, a couple have been helpful for me. The podcast questions from the closet, which I'll link to in the this podcast description, is from Charlie Bird and Ben Shalati, and they're active members of the church and gay, and they released a podcast the morning after Elder Holland spoke at BYU. It's dated August 24th, and it's entitled, What Do I Do If I'm Hurt by Something a Church Leader Says? And it's just helpful for me to sort of go into their space with the goal of what can I do to lift their burdens. They're kind of inviting me into their space and a way to honor my baptism covenants to potentially help lift their burdens. I'll also like David Archuleta's Instagram video um, from August 27th. I'll also link to that in the show episode. It's just seven minutes, but David Archuleta, who's an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, just talks about how he's processing this. So I think it's important to listen to people in the space. Um, That's just a principle. Yeah, we can listen to allies and other people, but I think it's important to listen to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So a couple thoughts there. Um, I'd like to, in the second part of the podcast, talk about my friend Matt Easton. Uh, Matt Easton is kind of at the center of what happened at BYU um, with Elder Holland's speech. And um, I'm taking a little drink here. I hope that's okay. Um, Matt Easton, as you know, is the BYU valedictorian that came out during his valedictorian speech in his college as gay a couple years ago. Um, Matt Easton, I just want to kind of share some thoughts that Matt shared and some of the things that he's written and, and talk about how we can create perhaps better understanding about this space. Um, Matt Easton, his background is a family friend. We first became aware of Matt Easton because he was serving in Sydney, Australia, which is the same mission our son served in. Um, my wife went to Matt Easton's homecoming talk and um, which is just a wonderful talk, according to my wife. And Matt's been in our home. Matt has become friends with three of our six children. I believe he's been a roommate of one, and a, our daughter and him are particularly close. And um, I was not aware of Matt's commencement speech ahead of time, um, but I was aware very quickly, like many of you. Matt came over to our home a couple days after the commencement speech, kind of as it had gone from a national press event to a, I mean, a local press event to a national press event. He just wanted a quiet place. He brought another BYU student over with him with a desire to navigate this the very best way they could. There's no owner's manual. There's no roadmap. There's no one that had gone ahead of them to know how to do this. His friend, I still remember the laptop being up on her counter, had a spreadsheet of all the media requests from all the national outlets that were coming in. That was Matt's agent, his fellow BYU student. And and Matt was taking call after call. A couple news trucks did show up at our house and did stories. But before that all started, Matt asked for a priesthood blessing. And I was just honored to give Matt blessing and feel Heavenly Father's love for Matt. And, and a feeling that, of all the good that Matt has done in our world, the people that are closer to Christ in Australia, the people at BYU. Um, 
Matt's not particularly a flamethrower, so Matt um, could feel a lot of pain and hurt, and I'd certainly validate that in Matt because of Elder Holland's comments at BYU. Uh, Matt wrote an article in the Tribune that came out on the 28th of August, or the 27th of August, and I'd just like to read a little bit about about that. and he sort of titles this talk, Matt Easton to Elder Holland, Diversity is Not Divisiveness. So I'm sensitive here. I'm not, I don't want to feel like listeners, I'm taking on Elder Holland or disagreeing with Elder Holland. And, and I want to be clear, listeners, that I love Elder Holland. I sustain Elder Holland. I support Elder Holland. His ministry in my life has been going on for decades and has helped me immensely. That I would think that it's helped millions of people around the world come unto Christ through a restored church. He has given it all for decades and decades to help people. I know many LGBTQ Latter Saints that have told me his personal help and ministry to them. He may be the most quoted person in my book, Listen, Learn, and Love. He said many wonderful things. So I love Elder Holland, support Elder Holland, and will continue to sustain and support him. Just trying to respectfully bring Matt's point of view and perhaps others' point of view, um, just to try to help bring more understanding as we continue to go forward as Latter-day Saints and find common ground. Um, But I'll read a little bit of this. Um, With days of my 2019 graduation speech, I received hundreds of letters and private messages from members across the globe who were feeling lost and afraid. One came from a gay a young gay student at BYU-Idaho. It was the first person he ever came out to. I was the first person he ever came out to. He was terrified of his roommates finding out about his sexual orientation of facing possible retaliation, ridicule, and even violence from them. Another was penned by a faithful member in Peru, a woman struggling deeply in her sexuality and faith who expressed hope for the first time in seeing that it might be possible to embrace both the belief in God and acceptance of self. Then Matt talks about what led him up to do that at his commencement speech. During my first year, the first openly gay person I met was a boy in my class named Harry Fisher. He was in the final semester when he opened up about his sexuality. Within weeks of doing so, he took his life. As an impressionable young student, I felt I was witnessing the only future I would ever have. I felt so alone and fearful how my community would react if I ever followed suit and shared that I was gay. It's hard to reconcile feeling like it was the only place for you in the world is one where, in which you no longer exist. Harry is just one of thousands of LGBTQ plus individuals struggling with acceptance of their sexual identity. According to a 2020 survey by the Trevor Project, 42% of LGBTQ plus youth have contemplated suicide in the last 12 months. In Utah, approximately half of all LGBTQ plus teens experienced suicidal ideation, with self-harm as the number one cause for death among ages 10 to 17. This is an issue affecting all parts of our community, both in and outside of BYU. I chose to acknowledge my sexual orientation in graduating speech because I wanted other LGBTQ students to know that they're not alone, that they can succeed and be proud of who they are while doing it. Our variety of life experiences is what made BYU so wonderful. 
Let me be clear. Diversity is not the same as divisiveness. I imagine that is what the administrators who pre-approved my words understood as well. While some might fear a future where more valedictorians share things like their sexual identity in their speeches, I think we should instead fear a future in which they don't. Celebrating our own differences not only fosters belonging, but also enables us to be more, more clearly see our similarities. If unity is what we are after, I believe it will come from the offering a perspective of offering all perspectives a seat at the table. Every voice is needed for the gospel choir. In good faith, Matt Easton. So Matt, I assume, is hurting a little bit. Um, but I thought Matt did a wonderful job of just expressing in a very respectful way why he gave that speech and his desire to create hope for other LGBTQ youth, particularly at church-owned schools. And I thought his editorial in the Salt Lake Tribune was not a bomb-throwing editorial, but an editorial to try to bring more understanding. Credit to everybody trying to do their best. A few days after... Um, the events at BYU, I was talking to a BYU-Idaho student. Um, he's gay. He's near graduation. He's in a good spot. He's become a mentor for other LGBTQ students at BYU-Idaho. And he was telling me about one of these students, highly closeted in a tough spot. And he heard Matt Easton's speech, and it just gave him hope. It pulled him out of a very dark spot to know that Matt Easton could be out and then see all the support. So I recognize um, the good that Matt Easton's speech made in the lives of many people. thought a lot about um, what we're trying to accomplish um, from a doctrinal perspective, looking at the life of Christ. And I love this quote from Elder Cook from his October 2020 talk. We can be an oasis of unity and celebrate diversity. Unity and diversity are not opposites. We can achieve achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and respect for diversity. And so I love that. Um, To me, I think a lot about BYU, and I've always felt like one of the best ways to grow and protect an institution is to reach out and help the most marginalized of that institution feel like they belong. Now I get tenderhearted when I think about that. Um, Let me just say that again. I think this strengthening our institutions and our churches is reaching out to the most marginalized and feel like they belong. I think we're stronger. I think of um, Mosiah, or wherever it is, I think it's in Mosiah, our hearts knit in unity. To me, the unity represents all the differences that we all have that come together to make us Zion or the body of Christ. To me, the gathering of Israel, when I think of that, I still think of the family praying for missionaries to knock on their door and some country in the world that my wife and I pray for, missionaries. But also think about our own members that are LGBTQ. And they're part of gathering Israel, and part of that that is helping them feel like they belong. Renee Brown talks about fitting in as assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be in order to fit in. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So those that feel impressed to come out, even in church settings, I hope that we see that as a desire 
for them to be authentic, for them to know that people can love them, even if they know this part about them that often they're very ashamed about and fearful that if only people knew this part about them, that they wouldn't like them. But often those that come out feel this love and support and kindness that helps them feel better about themselves and helps them feel like they belong and helps them to believe their heavenly parents could love them too. I think of um, a board with um, round holes, and that represents fitting in as round pegs going into round holes. And there's a lot of round holes at BYU, and there's a lot of round holes in our church. And a lot of us are round pegs. That represents straight Latter-day Saints, but some are square, some are trans, some are bi, some are non-binary, some are gay, some are lesbian. And as the church teaches, and I hope we understand, people didn't choose that and can't somehow unchoose that. They can't somehow pray um, it away to become a round peg. So it's kind of on us to, to embrace them as square pegs and to create square holes so they can feel like they belong. Um, and that, to me, goes back to the idea that our, the strength of our institutions is how we include our most marginalized members. My dear wife and I have a married son at BYU um, in the early part of his BYU years. He, you know, he is a round peg fitting into a round hole. He is not worried about going to BYU. He doesn't need a straight flag flying at BYU because the whole experience is kind of a straight flag. Um, people are talking about dating and married. He's married. He's going to be in a married student ward. And so he's not worried if people like him um, will feel welcome and if people knew this part about him. So that's why some fly a pride flag. Now, I'm 60. In my day, the pride flag was more of a political emblem that represented divicity. It represented perhaps um, behavior that wasn't consistent with church teachings, and it was a little triggering for me. I've had to reprogram my heart in my mind about the pride flag. And in many situations in Latter-day Saint circles, it's meant to be a symbol that um, you're welcome here, you belong here, and this part about you is welcome here. There are some seminary teachers that have paintings of Jesus in the colors to represent that, so they know all their students are welcome. There are some seminaries that put the pride flag up to let the LGBTQ Latter-day Saints know they're welcome at seminary. Now, the straight students generally know they're welcome. They're not wondering that when they get up for early morning seminary or release time seminary. So if that's uncomfortable for you, I just invite you to, that may be just a, an emblem or a symbol that creates a feeling, not in a rebellious state, but just a feeling that you're welcome and that I recognize your road is harder And I want to signal to you as a parent or as a local leader or a seminary teacher or an institution that you're welcome here. Now, certainly there's some people that fly the pride flag inappropriately and wouldn't define it the way I have, but let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Now, some LGBTQ people use the pride colors, and that's often that they just want to be, it's the pride of self-respect. It's the pride of doing their best. It's the pride of owning every bit about them. It's pride is the opposite of shame. Um, shame separates us from God and separates us from each other and from our families. Pride, to me, the appropriate pride of being your personal best and being at peace with who you are and 
Not being ashamed of anything about you is a great place to be. I talk about that in my book. If you'd like to read my book, it's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I do a whole section on pride, the pride flag. And um, just something for you to consider. I'm not expecting everybody to be on the same page, but I would invite us all to be open to um, just some maybe further feelings about that. And that probably fits with a quote I'd like to give at this point of this podcast. You've heard it before. It's from Elder Uchtdorf in a 2020 World Training. And he talks about, we can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? So that those words kind of stung for me because there's a lot of massive iron gates that would have thought I knew about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, it, my journey in this space was being a YSA bishop and really for the first time listening to a couple gay men I had priesthood responsibility for. And I recognized for the first time LGBTQ people are not this outside group, but they're our own people. And I had a priesthood responsibility to lift their burdens versus add to their burdens. And Heavenly Father, in a moment of rebuke, said that everything I'd learned about LGBTQ people mostly came from straight people. And I had a bunch of misinformation. And he invited me to wipe my hard drive clean of everything I had concluded because I didn't know what was accurate and just listen to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Connected with Ben Shalotti's blog, very helpful. Just felt myself being programmed to see them as Heavenly Father sees them. I'm not at the finish line. I don't, you know, I'm still, it's a work in process. I don't do this right all the time. I'm sure there's things I've said several years ago that I would say better now, but I'm open to learning and I'm recognizing that, you know, that I just need to learn more. I'll just briefly quote from another um, thing I read in the Salt Lake Tribune from Michael Austin. I'm a Cougar alum talking about um, Matt Easton's speech, and he just concludes with these lines. There's a huge distinction between divisiveness and uncomfortableness. I don't think there's any way you can read somebody's sim- I don't think there's a way you can read somebody simply acknowledging in a university approved speech that they are gay as divisive, but it makes people uncomfortable. We all too often place the burden of making everyone comfortable on the most vulnerable in our community. So those words ring true to me, and I share that just to invite us all to do better. Um, If I go back in history, it was probably uncomfortable in the 60s and 70s um, with Black people having more of a place in society. I wasn't around then with women's role changing in society. And right now with the with LGBTQ. And so as I look at the long view going backward, I just recognize we have more work to do here. But part of this is being uncomfortable. And part of this is willing to grow. I look at our congregations and I look at Paul in Corinthians 12, where he talks about the body of Christ and how every part of the body of Christ is necessary. The eyes, the hands, the feet, I'm paraphrasing. But we can't look at one part of the body of the Christ and say it's less worthy than the other. So I think we have to look as we sit in our congregations and look at people that have different sexual orientations, different gender identities, different political parties, different clubs, different schools, um, 
church just can't be an extension of our political party or our worldview. It needs to be a place where we come together as saints and find unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the balm of Gilead for everybody. And that's, to me, what Christ taught in his own personal ministry that was surrounded by diversity and uniqueness. So that's just a little bit um, on my friend Matt Easton's talk. Um, I hope this is a growing moment. Um, David Archuleta had some wonderful insights, as I mentioned, is his in Instagram post about um, this topic. And um, once again, I think it's important to listen to the marginalized people for those of us in privilege. And I, I really believe strongly, and especially the millennial Latter-day Saints, they're looking so hard, many, not all, I don't want to speak for all of them, on what's my religion doing for the most marginalized people or for some of these world issues. That's, that's a change from when I grew up. And I think our religion is matured enough and is strong enough that we can now say, okay, what's our responsibility to the most marginalized people? We are certainly doing that with Black Latter-day Saints at this point in our church history. What we're doing with the NAACP, I would have been very surprised 20 years ago if I saw what we're doing. And some of that has probably been uncomfortable for all of us, but it's brought us together as the same human family. And there's just more work to do in this space, as many of you know. Um, and talking about this space, sometimes people need a paradigm to how to frame it. And the way I frame it, and I talked about this in my book, is the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members is like a 40-chapter book. And we're just not in chapter 40. Chapter 40 represents when a mom learns her 13-year-old son is gay or trans, or her daughter is um, gay or trans, that that mother is not full of fear about the future for that child in this life or the next life. Um, and right now, LDS parents, when they learn they've got an LGBTQ child, it's generally full of fear because they don't know how that works. And chapter 40 is just where that fear's gone. And where Latter-day LGBTQ Latter-day Saints are having the same experience at BYU and our church congregations as straight Latter-day Saints. And where I don't get involved in is sort of saying what chapter we're in or how we get to chapter 40 or what God's will is, because I don't know God's will and I'm not a leader in the church. I don't have a standing. But I just recognize we're not at chapter 40 and I pray and support our leaders as they wrestle with this. Um, some would think our doctrine will never change. Some would think it's possible our doctrine will change, and they may open up to a few individuals and share their honest feelings. I want to create space for both groups of people, because um, I want to do everything to grow the church and have more participate in the beautiful doctrine in our church. And if there's some that privately hope that our doctrine changed or shares that with a friend or a local leader or a spouse, as long as they sustain current doctrine and aren't campaigning or mo making movements to change doctrine, I hope we don't consider them less faithful. Let's create space for individual points of view on this subject um, before, we, before we divide people and call other people weak or not following the prophet. We can privately hope something changes as long as we sustain and support current doctrine. Now, there may be some listeners that feel like they can't sustain and support current doctrine and um, have separated themselves from the church. And I just, as I mentioned earlier, I'll walk with you. Um, I'll honor your path going forward. Um, but I kind of 
so that's my thoughts on that. Probably could talk for another hour on that, but I just want to be clear. I support sustain and follow current doctrine. I'm not campaigning for it to change. Just want to create space for people under that umbrella, which have different feelings about how we're going to get to chapter 40 to um, feel permission to have different feelings. I just, for me, I just say, I don't know God's will and I'm not a leader of the church. So I just focus on things that I can do, which is minister and be kind and lift others' burdens and pray for our leaders. And Elder Holland was pretty honest about their this is a difficult topic that they're working on. Now, I want to talk to allies as we move along in this podcast. Um, allies I define as um, active Latter-day Saints that are working to um, kind of do everything they can to lift the burdens of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. That might be local leaders. It might be people at church colleges. It might be rank-and-file members like me. And this has been a hard week for us, and I've had many allies reach out wondering, you know, is this, can they stay in this space or, you know, it's such a difficult space for an ally. Um, And that's true. And I don't want to sort of shift the discussion away from LGBTQ to ally. But if you're an ally feeling it's been a rough week, I'm mourning with you. It's been a rough week for me. I've had a hard time staying emotionally healthy and my gas tank has been low for a long time, and it's very difficult to manage all the inbound communication that I'm honored to get, but I don't have the ability to keep up with all that communication anymore. And there's pretty much no air cover, um, generally from church leaders for allies. And so we do this, and some members of our congregations are glad we do it. Some aren't aware or indifferent, and some are suspicious of us. Some final thoughts about allies, listeners. The first thing is, every ally needs to do this the way that works for them. We all need to work. The principle here is we all need to work in our circle of influence. Some allies like me have a book and a podcast and a platform, and other allies may think, well, that's what I have to do. What I feel like you need to do is just work in your circle of influence. It may be your ward. It may be your stake. It may be your mission. It may be your friend group. It may be your family group. It's just asking Heavenly Father to direct you how best to be an ally and what hearts are open to just learning more about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints so you can help them understand how to lift others' burdens and how to help this group of people. A significantly greater percent of our younger members of the church have become either informally or formally LGBTQ allies. They see the gospel through the lens of what is the gospel doing for the most marginalized people. And what can I do to go, sort of go outward and help them feel fully included? So that's my invitation to allies. I love, um, I think if allies have a mission statement, I'll share with you mine. It's a mission song. How's that for a thought? It's Bridge Over Troubled Water. I can't remember if I've already shared it in this podcast because I'm getting old. So if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. But I love the song Bridge Over Troubled Water by Sarman and Garfunkel. And I'll read those words to you. Your time has come to shine. All your dreams are on their way. See how they shine. Oh, if you need a friend, I'm sailing right behind. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will ease your mind. So to me, an ally is sailing right behind an LGBTQ person. And the spotlight isn't on the ally. The spotlight's on the LGBTQ person to help them shine and to help their dreams and to have their hope. So that's what 
my sort of mantra or song is as an ally and um, just recognizing that I'm using my privilege, the things that I have to help other people that have a harder road. And to me, that's fulfilling my baptism covenants. Now, when I think of younger members of the church, I'm full of hope. I'm hope for the future of our church and our world. I believe the Lord is sending, as we teach, some of his best for the last days, um, straight members of the church and LGBTQ members of the church. Um, I attend many missionary farewells and homecomings, and uh, these are generally experiences where I'm significantly lifted as I hear them talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I attended one missionary homecoming, a young man that I've gotten to know this summer. And as I went to that missionary homecoming, um, some of the thoughts that came into my mind is it's people like this young man that'll help us get to the finish line on some of these issues. That doesn't mean that um, it's going to have to take a few generations. It just means that we'll continue to make progress, but especially this younger group will help us know how to support, love everybody. But as I sat in this um, meeting, it ended up being a meeting of a farewell of a homecoming from the young man I knew and a farewell from his younger brother. And I was just so deeply moved by their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by their love of all of Heavenly Father's children, and the desire to help everybody feel the love of our Savior and our Heavenly Parents, and their desire to take the gospel to everybody and gather Israel. And it just gave me so much hope, and it's a credit to their parents and a credit to their community. And many of you, as I talk about, those two are you. You will um, go on missions and come home from missions, and um, you will help us know how to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody and expand the tent. And I'm grateful for all the allies in my life and all the good work you're doing, and continue to be able to do this. um, I pray for your success and support as you walk this road. And it's just the reality of being an ally in the church right now. And um, the number of allies that are increasing, and I think more and more look at their baptism covenants and covenant to bear and mourn and comfort and look at people that have the hardest road and say, that's where I'm going. I'm going to lift their burden. Um, So I just recognize it's been a tough road for allies. And when I was a singles ward bishop, there was kind of an infrastructure in place for that kind of challenging calling. I had counselors, I had ward counselor, I had had a, a ward praying for me at times, and the people I was serving were the very people that sat in the congregation. So it was a great feeling of connection and belonging and, and lifting that occurred. But this is often different because the people allies are serving aren't often in their congregations, and there's not that sort of infrastructure. And so it's just a different type of service. I call it the non-LDS tools type of service. There are callings that show up on LDS tools, and those are needed and valued, and we need to support everybody with one of those LDS tools. But there are other people that are serving, and not just allies in the LGBTQ places, but lots of wonderful ways that people are serving. And let's make sure we're seeing what they do and support them. But whenever I have a hard day as an ally, and I visit with Heavenly Father, he kind of reminds me that this just helps you understand my LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Because pain gives, pain um, allows me to have more empathy for others that have pain. Um, And then Heavenly Father reminds me that, you know, you go home to your wife and your home and your children and um, 
just the things that I can kind of escape from this space if needed. I have a family and and then I think about my LGBTQ friends that if they're trying to be celibate and fully participate in the church, they're not going home to any of that. And they don't really see a path that's, that'll ever be in their future unless they feel a mixed orientation marriage could work for them. So that world just makes me have more empathy for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So in being honest about the difficult road I have as an ally, I want to not shift the focus to allies, use that experience to um, for all of us allies to better understand the road that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints walk. Um, there are wonderful people in my circle. There's a few in my ward that are very helpful for me. My family's very helpful for me, so I have enough of a support system. Um, but it's very different than a traditional church calling. And the suspicion in the, about what you're doing can be part of it. And I just have felt some of that. And And if you feel some of that, just hang in there. Because um, I believe if you're lifting the burdens of others, um, that that's part of what Jesus Christ did. The next section, I've got two sections left, is to talk to local leaders. Um, I have seen a shift in the last year or so of local leaders, and I would mean anybody at the ward or state council, men and women, um, saying, I'd like to talk about LGBTQ in our ward or stake. My ward and stake members are talking about this. The family's talking about it. What you know, I'd like to talk about this. I recognize that if that you know, we usually do better when we talk about these subjects within the walls of our church. And so we started a Facebook group. I will link to it in the in the podcast description. It's called, if you want to search for it on Facebook, LGBTQ and Allies and Ward Stakes and Missions has about 1,300 members, and it has a very narrow focus. Um, it's, it's just a focus to develop church-supported content or activities within ward stakes, institutes, missions. And there's a number of people around the world that are already doing this um, and have developed content that they're sharing in this group. So a lot of local leaders kind of feel like they want to they need to start from scratch and there's nothing out there and how do they do this? And they're not aware of anybody else doing it. But this is a great group if you're a local leader or if you're not a local leader, just a member of a ward that wants to do something, you could join this group. There's two questions to join. Are you an active LDS? Are you active LDS? And will you agree to keep the focus of the group around developing church-supported content in the walls of our church? And so... You could join that if you want to just connect with other people worldwide that are doing that. Everything is meant to be very consistent with the doctrine of the church. Um, also, if you're a local leader, I, I have a website called listenlearnandlove.org. And on that website is a tab across the top called Articles. And there's introductory articles. And there's about three or four there. The first two are church-generated articles. The third one is church leader quotes, so that's pretty close to church generated. We've just compiled it all into a Word document. But I think if you're talking about this for the first time in your family, you could bring this up in a family discussion too. Even part of um, Come Follow Me is appropriate. I've seen families do that. Um, but anyway, it's best if you use sort of church generated content because that helps members know that you're on firm ground, that you're using quotes from our leaders and you're using teacher teachings that our leaders have shared. Um, so 
that's where I'd suggest that you start. That keeps everybody feeling pretty good. And often um, just teaching what the church currently teaches is very helpful. I didn't really fully understand the church um, teaches that someone didn't choose this and someone can't unchoose this. Elder Holland's been pretty clear on that. So that really shifts the responsibility from the gay person to become straight to us to create that square hole I'm talking about, that feeling of belonging. Um, it's a paradigm shift, really, if you think about that. Because um, growing up, we had I had always assumed from what I'd heard from society that somehow something went wrong, someone chose this, all the different things I've heard, and they could then, because something went wrong and they chose this or their environment made this them this way, that they can somehow undo this. So anyway, that's just some thoughts for local leaders. There are many doing this. I think that's a... And there's enough church air cover for that with the church quotes like President Ballard's quote at BYU that's in that article and other leader quotes that you're on firm ground. And I'm seeing many people in a fifth Sunday, a state conference, adult talk. There's a wonderful state conference, adult talk shared in this group. Um, Elder Gong's talk about room at the inn is a great talk for introducing this subject and what are we going to do to create room at the end for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. So there's a number of church talks that are great starting points to introduce this subject within the walls of your wards and stakes. Now, that's I don't prescribe that. I'm not sort of saying you should do that. Um, you have the keys for your individual area of responsibility. It's just a tool if you feel impressed that it's the right time to do this within your area of stewardship. And I'd expand that for families. I think it's appropriate for parents or grandparents to um, talk about this. It's a church-supported, family-centered church, so it'd be perfectly appropriate for families to talk about this. I don't think talking about LGBTQ creates more LGBTQ people. Um, That's one of the myths I wrote about in the book. Um, It doesn't confuse people into being LGBTQ. Who would? It's the hardest road I know. Um, So the people I've met with this is pretty authentic. Something they'd love not to be have dealt with, but have gradually come to peace. This is who they are, in a in a positive way. So anyway, just some thoughts for local leaders. The next thing I'd like to share, and I think this is the closing segment, although sometimes I ramble, is what if you're in a faith crisis and um, you wonder if it's time to leave the church, um, but you'd actually like to stay in the church and find an authentic, sustainable way. So if that's you, or if you're trying to help somebody in that space, this last segment might be helpful. Uh, By way of introduction, I have a new book coming out. I don't think I've mentioned that anywhere. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And it's based on Sister McConkie's talk um, in a video, her statement that said, the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't marginalize people. People marginalize people, and we need to fix that. And this book has sort of 10 chapters of what we can do to improve culture. Now, none of it challenges doctrine. None of it, you know, is not consistent with church teachings. Just what can we do to improve our culture so it better matches the gospel of Jesus Christ, better matches um, Elder Gong's vision for room at the end for everybody, better matches the life of Jesus Christ. And 
Most Latter-day Saints recognize that sometimes it's the culture, not our doctrine, that causes people to separate themselves from the church. But anyway, um, chapter 10 is called Ministering to Those with Questions, and I will I'll link in the podcast description to this full chapter, even though it's not out. I hope I don't get in trouble with my editor. If I do, I'll take it down. I don't write these books to make money. Um, the first book, all the money proceeds went to a foundation for a young man who died by suicide. And um, I don't intend to make any money off of any of these books. You can't donate to what I do, so it's just a labor of love. Um, anyway, so I'll link to this chapter if you want to not wait till the first quarter of 2022 when it's out, because some of the things may help you now. But let me read a little bit from this chapter. Um, in November of 2018, I asked this poll on Twitter, which ga- garnered over 1,100 response, responses. For those of you that hold a temple recommend, please indicate your testimony to the church. And there were four possible responses, and I'll read the outcome. Um, 41% of that group said, I know the church is true. 33% said, I believe it's true. 15% said, I hope it's true. And 11% said, I'm not sure it's true. A few days later, I asked this question. If you are an active Latter-day Saint in a faith crisis, is your hope to find a way to stay or find a way to leave? 88% of the respondents indicated they want to find a way to stay. After meeting with hundreds of individuals sharing their faith crisis with me, this did not surprise me. I repeated both Twitter polls in 2021 in July and had the similar results. So I recognize, listeners, that culturally we've created a testimony type that is sort of around this, I know the church is true with every fiber of my being. And if you have that testimony, um, I need to hear that. We all need to hear that. Don't feel now shame for sharing that. Um, But if you don't have that type of testimony, we need to hear that too. And we need to create a culture that um, supports all testimony types because behind each testimony type, Maybe somebody doing their very best to come unto Christ, to lift the burdens of others, to honor their covenants. In D&C 1613 through 14, it reads, um, well, I'll paraphrase it. Well, what should I say here? I'm just going to paraphrase. It talks about knowing and believing and different gifts of the Spirit. So some it's given to know it, some given to believe. Some may never get from belief to I know, and I don't want that person to feel like it's a stumbling block or they're a second-class Latter-day Saint. And we just have different spiritual gifts. So I hope we can create a culture where an I believe or I hope is not a second-class testimony. And um, why? Because then more are able to participate in our church and believe they're worthy of participating in the fruits of our own restored, restored doctrine. I'll read again from this chapter. This section is titled, My Own Faith Journey. I had previously assumed that a faith crisis was a result of sin or a lack of praying, reading the scriptures, or attending church. I learned firsthand this was not true because my own faith crisis occurred while I was a bishop, giving everything for the cause. I felt some feelings of being switched off and squeezed out. In the book Planted, Patrick Mason defines being switched off or squeezed out of the church. In both cases, these may be lifelong members with a deep commitment to the core teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The switched-off group encounters troubling new information regarding our history or doctrine. 
This new knowledge does not align with what they had previously been taught. It is unsettling and causes them to wonder what else they have not been told. They often find it hard to continue to trust the church and its leaders. This squeezed-out group feels like they do not fit in a church, loosely because of what Mason calls the dominant political conservatism among members, at least in the United States or other core issues. They often embrace the core of the gospel, but are ask heartfelt questions about church's policy for its LGBTQ members, whether women and girls have the same opportunities for spiritual growth and recognition as boys and men do and other issues. Their strong feelings may be dismissed by fellow members, and they may be suspected of not being faithful to the gospel. In reality, it is often their commitments to Christ's teachings that motivates them to ask sincere questions. Um, so that's a wonderful book. That's that Desert book um, called Planted. Um, another book that is written by my good brother David is called Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. Holding a copy of that up in my hand right now talk about both books in this chapter. Um, those books both go deeper than this single chapter in my book. So if you're wanting to help others in a faith crisis or you're in a faith crisis, both those books are available at Desert Book and Amazon. Once again, Bridges by David Osler, planted by Patrick Mason. But I'll continue with this chapter. This is me and my words again. I am now grateful for this mini faith crisis because it gives me better tools to lead others out of the desert and have greater understanding for those who have stepped away from the church. I know that desert. It is one of the most difficult things I've experienced. It affected almost everything in my life, including my emotional health. I'm particularly grateful to my wife, Sheila, my family, my stake president, and others who have helped me so much along this journey. I no longer look at that as experience as a step backward. I look at it as falling upwards and an important part of my eternal progress. My home stake president, David Sturt, effectively ministered to me at the beginning of my faith crisis by listening when I opened up about my concerns. He gave me permission to have a fallen domino or two as I continued to make my way forward as a faithful Latter-day Saint. Usually, when one domino falls, they all fall, but President Sturt was wise enough to give me space. He did not ask me to change my feelings or give me a spiritual checklist of what things to do that would somehow align my feelings with most, most members. I have not yet resolved some of those concerns, but I remain a deeply committed member with the firm testimony of our restored gospel. He helped me focus on dominoes that are firmly standing with deep roots that form the core of my testimony, doctrines of heavenly parents who love me, the plan of happiness, the restored priesthood, a modern-day prophet, the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, its ability to come, help me come into Christ, the power of temple covenants and the atonement of Jesus Christ. I would not invite anyone to seek a faith crisis, but if it's part of someone's journey, it need not be a big setback. It could be part of their mortal plan that their heavenly parents knew they needed to help them grow in a unique ways that would otherwise not be possible and develop, develop better tools to help others. As I fall upwards, I do not think I'll ever go back to what I used to believe. I move on with a different understanding. It's never going to be exactly the same. For me, there is some grief that my simpler faith that I used to have is now gone. Yet I make my way forward as a committed Latter-day Saint because of our restored doctrine that brings hope and healing to my life. So that's just a little bit about my own story. I've shared that before in, in the podcast. Um, 
But if you're in what I would call a faith crisis, a mini faith crisis, a faith transition or a faith journey, this chapter, and I'll link to it in the podcast notes, may be helpful for you. It may be helpful to help others. Um, And I could probably talk more about that. Um, So if you're in a faith crisis, I invite you to go slow. Um, It may take some deconstruction and reconstruction. I talk about that in this chapter where you can deconstruct um, and sort of reconstruct in a sustainable way, especially for those of you that I think are the majority that want to find a way to authentically stay in the church. Most people do. It's their community. They've given so much. They have a feeling of belonging. There's a community aspect, a ward and a family aspect. So people that I know generally don't want to separate themselves from the church. There's a great loss of community there. And they want to find a way to authentically stay. But as people open up with questions, if you're a parent or a local leader, let's create um, the same thing that my local leader did is validate questions, create a culture where questions are valued. I think that's an important principle as that we can do is to be able to get in a place where we can walk with people. One of the things that surprised me. Um, the last year I served as a singles ward bishop on social media, I started to say kind things about LGBTQ people. And that's not something that you would normally see from a YSA bishop on social media. I just used church-generated content. I went to dinner with a high school buddy who was gay and posted that. And the YSAs were kind of aware of that. And no more YSAs came out to me, but some um, that were not active and active concluded, okay, if the bishop's going to say nice things about gay people, he can handle what I need to talk to him about. And it was such an honor to have people open up for the first time about something they'd kept inside, and then to be able to walk with them. So one of the great things Christ did in his ministry was he was with all the people that society said he shouldn't be with. And we know who those people are, the people at the Pool of Bethesda, Zacchaeus, um, the Canaanite woman. Um, and I think he ta- was trying to teach us that we should be kind to everybody. And if we can create a ward culture and a family culture where we are saying kind things about LGBTQ people, kind things about people in other races, kind things about people um, in other political parties, kind things about people that hold different views about masks or vaccines, it's very. Um, divisive right now, then what it does, I think, for people around us is they know that we're a safe person for them to open up to. And our, Sheila and I, some of our greatest parenting moments are when our kids will open up about what's really going on in their life so we can kind of get on the road and walk with them. We don't want to create a culture that um, we have to be perfect so that no one can open up to us and that whatever's going on in our life. So that's an important principle that I think is a principle of parenting and a pre- principle of being a good local leader. So talks, like Elder Gong's talk about room at the end and extending that to create a, a feeling that everybody's welcome. This is an extension of our political party or, or whatever circle we've created that's a lot of people that are a lot alike, that church is different. It's a wider net. It's bigger. Um, I, I think we grow the church by getting bigger. And part of gathering Israel is gathering people that are different than us, that have, but yet have a common desire to come unto Christ, 
through our restored church and participate us with this. I've always felt, listeners, that um, there's no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in a congregation. Uh, President Oakdorf taught that when he said there's no sign at the door that says your testimony needs to be this high to enter. Now, if you look at the Temple Recommend questions, there are belief and behavior questions. And so the gate narrows at the Temple. But let's don't sort of um, retrograde that. That's not the right word, but you get the idea that that's the way our home should be or our ward should be. Um, I think we get more people making better decisions in their life when they feel welcome in our congregations as they are, come as you are. Um, we're all kind of working on this together. There's no checklist here. There's no measuring here. Um, we're creating a culture that everybody's welcome. And of course, Christ is the perfect example of that. So I hope this is helpful for you. Um, if you're LGBTQ, um, you are walking a unique road. And I wish I could give you all the answers, but I believe that um, you staying close to your heavenly parents, the Savior that can heal your heart, um, realizing that this is how you're meant to be and that your life mission is possible. Many LGBTQ people I meet with would no longer push the imaginary red button and be straight. Um, they've come to the conclusion that all their Christ lights and attributes and gifts are all tied up into this, and they don't want this carved out of them. Just like straight people don't want something being straight carved out of them. And that puts everybody on the same moral footing and is a great place to be. I haven't talked at all about my trans friends. Sometimes when these discussions come up, they feel triggered because most of the discussion is about gay men and gay women and bisexual people and non-binary and especially our trans people feel like we, they feel unseen and what feeling unseen is one of the most difficult things you can feel so um just a brief note about this uh, gender dysphoria is the core of being trans it's the feeling that how you identify how you feel inside doesn't match your biological sex. To me, somebody framed it up as being carsick um, or this nausea, this inner ear dysphoria. I'm not using the right vocabulary. And all you want to do at a, is get out of the car. And imagine explaining carsickness to somebody in the 14th century that didn't know what a car was. So that's what gender dysphoria is. It's real. It's long-term. It's not a mental illness. I think we're at chapter one of starting to understand why someone feels this. I've done podcasts with people. It's the only way that I've learned this space is to listen to people that extend, experience gender dysphoria. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt that this is real. Um, let's practice our baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort and listen to their stories. If you experience gender dysphoria, I encourage you to go slow. Um, go to the church's website. Um, go to trusted therapists and know best how to manage this going forward. Um, but I have come to feel that people that come to learn that people do experience long-term gender dysphoria. And if you would like to listen to more of those stories, you can listen to podcast episodes we have. Um, a note of caution on all of this, there may be some short-term experimentation going on. Um, and I don't want to take that off the table, but I wouldn't want us to feel like this is all just short-term experimentation that's confusing people into long-term behavior. I discourage short-term experimentation, but um, especially with our youth. But I would, 
um, I wouldn't want to use that framework and saying this is all just confused people by whatever. Um, to me, this is real stuff, and people experience this, and we need to be willing to validate how they feel. And part of our baptism covenants is how I respond to people that are not straight or cisgender. So that's some thoughts, some last thoughts to LGBTQ people. Um, if there's anything I've said in this podcast or a prior podcast or a Facebook post or my book that you're uncomfortable with, that's fine. Um, I'm not trying to create a feeling that everybody should feel exactly the same way I do in this space. It's just not that kind of space, and that's not my goal. My goal is to talk about it in a, as faithfully as we can to help bring us together. Um, those within the church and even those that have separated the church, I think one of the things our heavenly parents love is when we get along. And it's obviously easier to get along with people that are just the same. But I think we're, it really brings us joy and other heals others and makes our heavenly parents um, happy, just because I see this as a father, is when we all get along in our differences. And even the divisiveness between those in the church and those that have left the church, let's, let's be kind to people that have separated themselves from the church and leave any judging at the Savior and keep them in our lives and love them. Um, we can do that because Christ did that. I call that the non-agenda love that can be the balm of Gilead. And often how we treat people that separate some from the church can impact how they talk about the church. If they feel pain and anger and finger pointing, um, they may feel doing that back to us, but we can be kind and respectful of each other. Um, I'd like to just thank my dear wife, the mother of our six children. Um, we have the chance to serve in the temple together. I, um, she serves as our ward young women's president, I may have mentioned, and just a wonderful woman has been very helpful for me and very supportive of me in this space. This is a complicated space, and many of you may have allies. M many of you have spouses that are working with you, and they may not feel um, exactly called to be in this space, and I think that's okay. My wife has um, callings to serve in other spaces, and we intersect in this space at times and don't at other times as she's serving in appropriate and wonderful ways. So I think that's just fine, and I'm grateful for my dear wife and the way she compliments me and all that she good that she does in so many circles, and I'm very comfortable that she's serving exactly how her heavenly parents need her to serve and is blessing many people's lives. So I could go on forever, but I better not. Um, I hope that's helpful. That's been my prayers. This podcast will give you a little more hope and healing and bring us together as the same human family. And with that, I will sign off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>